Welcome to On The Go, a podcast on the future of mobility powered by Traffy. Tuning into On The Go, you will meet some of the most brilliant minds in mobility, and we will take you way behind the scenes of the industry. Eckert Diepenhorst is the CEO of MyTaxi, and prior to this exciting position, he had already joined the company as regional manager in 2017, mainly being responsible for Germany, Spain, Austria, Portugal and Sweden. Previously, Eckert was director of business development Northern Europe at Dixon's Carphone PLC, but he started his professional career at the phone house, where he advanced to head of marketing and later to sales director shops. Before joining my taxi, Eckert took some time off traveling and realized that his next role in company needed to have a clear purpose. And as we will see in our conversation today, that is not something that is lacking here. Eckert, or Eki as most people call you, a warm welcome to On The Go. Joining me over a not-so-shaky line anymore from Hamburg, how did you get here today? Thanks very much, Dikit, first of all, for having me uh, today. Um, today, this morning, I did my usual morning routine, which I always do when I'm not traveling for business, which is I get up in the morning and I take my two young kids to childcare in our electric cargo bike, so big bike mm-hmm. with kids sitting in the front and then I use that cargo bike to get to That sounds pretty modern and uh, very Danish I would say Yeah, <laughs> Danish and Dutch <laughs> Danish and Dutch Best yes. combination when it comes to children and bikes Yes. <laughs> okay, I want to talk a little bit about my taxi and your growth strategy so to give people some background MyTaxi was founded in Hamburg in 2009 and since then has experienced a quite phenomenal growth. You now have more than 10 million customers, which is equal to the entire population of Sweden or the inhabitants of Seoul. You're operating in more than 100 cities and have about 100,000 drivers. Being snapped up by Daimler in 2014, you successfully merged with your rival Halo approximately two years later. Now, with more than 500 employees in 26 European offices, a lot of numbers here, it is safe to say that you are no longer a startup. At the same time, the mobility scene is changing faster than ever before. How do you keep up moving in a startup speed when you are no longer one? First of all, it's probably worth pointing out that we are in a lucky position that we have very strategic investors and then therefore don't need as much effort into external funding as other might do. And these strategic investors then recognize that speed and agility to characteristics that we have to have to be successful. So they're kind of safeguarding us from the big corporate cultures that they might have to some extent in their culture and they rather see how they can potentially get some of our agility into their businesses. Mm. Internally, so it's a give and take. Focus, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And internally, we focus a lot on maintaining that kind of culture, making sure that people are empowered to make decisions themselves. And we're working in an agile way and we're trying to recruit A, very fast, and then B, obviously the right people um, so that we can make sure that we maintain as much startup culture as possible. At mm. the same time, you're right in pointing out if a company gets bigger then obviously some processes need to be implemented Mm. but that might also be for the better or greater good of the company to have some processes in place 
Yes, <laughs> not only chaos. Exactly. So in 2018, this was quite an exciting year for you. You launched 10 new cities. You started a scooter pilot and you also tested ride sharing, commute ride sharing almost in a sense, in a few places. What is your vision for 2019? How will you continue to grow and bring this innovation further? So first of all, confirming, yes, 2018 has been a very successful year and a very exciting year and a very diverse year. For 2019, I would say we're getting rather more ambitious than less ambitious. Mm -hmm. So you could probably argue we have two big buckets of strategy that we're trying to follow. So A, to be relevant in the future and to be a shaping party to the urban mobility you have to be relevant and then therefore you have to grow massively and you have to keep growing massively. Mm. Future growth, we mainly see coming through focusing on some customer segments that we haven't focused on as strongly as we could in the past, which is a uh, our B2B customers. And then, as you pointed out rightly, when going into ride-sharing, this enables us to then tap into totally new target groups that use taxis in a different way to what it's used otherwise. Mm. And then also we are aiming to open more cities and potentially even more countries, focusing on Europe for now, um, but all of that in 2018. I would say the other big bucket that we need to look into is how do we keep working on modernizing the taxi industry mm. so that we can offer even better products to our passengers, i.e., being a bit more flexible on pricing, on quality, and then therefore shape products that are targeted to individual needs of the passengers in a different way. This sounds pretty ambitious. Would you say that 2019 will be your most aggressive year so far? A really good question. And internally, we are presenting to our employees and uh, preparing everybody for 2019. I keep joking a bit about it because I have not yet worked one single year in my career for not one single company where the next year wasn't the most ambitious <laughs> yeah. and the most exciting year. But yes, it's fair to say that 2019 for my taxi is going to be the most uh, dynamic and most challenging and most exciting um, year ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we look forward to following that ride. And um, I'm really interesting to talk more about the buckets, uh, as you described them, because some of my questions for you today are actually touching upon them all, except for the the second one that you mentioned regarding modernizing the tax industry. Would you care to develop a little bit more on that? Because it's quite specific. Sure. I would say one of the challenges that the taxi industry is facing today is that Whilst competition is coming through some uh, right-hay companies that have a lot of funding and they are trying to push into Europe and they're trying to grow rapidly and so on, uh, one of the challenging, most challenging things we're suffering from in the, with the licensed taxi industry is that we cannot react on uh, on the pricing. And it's hard to react on number of licenses and, and therefore shape supply as the market required. Now, to be able to enter that competition, which is coming anyway and which is there anyway, we will need to do a variety of things 
enable taxi drivers to react to that competition and then offer a service that is leading towards more demand for the licensed taxi driver as well. One being lobbying, for example, on public policy that wherever the regulatory frameworks are changing, that we're changing it for a more flexible, more modern marketplace rather than what we have today. And I think it's one thing, if we can tap into that a little bit later, is the most important bit being that we enter competition on a level playing field and that we don't set a regulatory framework for one fleet type that is different uh, to a regulatory framework for another one. I think that we can maybe directly step into developing a little bit on your regulatory work because it is generally seen as best in class by not only your competitors but also industry-wide and unlike some of your fiercest rivals who historically might have focused on growth at any price so to speak which has sometimes led to pretty public confrontations with not only legislators but also drivers it seems like my taxi from the very beginning has attempted to keep both sides on board And you are known to collaborate very closely with authorities and to only work with licensed taxi drivers, as you mentioned before. How have you managed to penetrate the regulatory framework? And do you have a set public affairs strategy that you religiously follow? And if so, can others copycat it? <laughs> you know, I don't want to judge how other people build their go-to-market strategies. I think it's fair to say for my taxi that very early in the process of founding the company and then starting to grow and build the company, it was a conscious decision to decide to do things in line with the regulatory bodies, with the municipalities, cities being one of our three target groups, drivers being another one, passengers being another one, but mainly creating a culture where we want to do the right things and not just do things and not care about the impact this might have on cities or on drivers or whatever. Now, that then automatically, that approach led to the fact that we focused on licensed taxi drivers because when we started our business, licensed taxi drivers in most cities that we operate in were the only legal and viable option to do so. Mm. Now, and this has built a culture of trying to do things the right way in line with the regulatory body. Mm. As we speak, the regulatory framework is changing in many of your markets. And as we previously mentioned, they are quite a few. How do you make sure to stay on track with all the changes? Because sometimes they can even vary within countries from city to city. How do you keep up with all the changes? Yes, if I carry on from the starting of the company, is then the business realized it is a city-by-city city approach and you need to build the city-by-city city relationship. So it's part of our DNA to have good relationship to the cities that we operate in and to watch and positively try to influence the regulatory frameworks on a city-by-city city level. So we have very much empowered teams in the countries that we operate in and they try and build a good relationship to the cities and explain to city officials what is helpful, what is less helpful, what are the implications of some of the actions mm. um, that we're having. And if I go back then to the regulatory framework in the level playing field, where we are failing is where you would say in some cities, regulatory frameworks are now changing. And for example, private hire is going to be entirely deregulated and liberalized. 
mm. while licensed taxi is still operating under a 50-year-old regulatory framework. And this is when we have to go in and represent the taxi industry and go, this is not what we should be working towards. We should create a regulatory framework that same size fits all, and then everybody has to follow that framework. Mm. So if anyone wants to enter on a city-by-city city approach, they should definitely invite your public affairs team out for lunch. Yes, and it's very difficult not to do it on a city-by-city city approach. Yeah, definitely. Would be my advice. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that a city has not been accommodating to your lobbying or, if you want to call it, attempt to modernize specific regulatory framework or legislation in order to make the tax industry slightly better on pair with where innovation and technology in mobility is going at the moment? Yes. And I would say yes for various reasons. So again, this is a very city-by-city city answer. Sometimes it's due to how different participants in the marketplace are behaving. Sometimes it's due to a political process and it's not that the municipality doesn't want to modernize, but sometimes the political process makes it very difficult. And without pointing out where we see difficulties at the moment, and I can give maybe one or two examples uh, later on. Yeah, please. Is we do see the necessity to create this level playing field to enable competition because competition is going to be the one that is going to drive customer experience and that is going to um, drive cities towards a better uh, mobility in the future. Mm. If you maybe one or two examples or maybe the most prominent example at the moment is in Lisbon and we have a very good relationship to the municipality of Lisbon. Mm. Like I said before, it's actually not the municipality of Lisbon, it's the state of Portugal They have liberalized entirely private hire. If I simplify, they can do almost anything they want to. But the licensed taxi industry can now not react to the freedom of pricing and freedom of uh, number of licenses and so on. And I think this is where we need to step in and say right now and we need to hurry uh, to create that level playing field and then um, work with the municipalities and with the state for them to understand the implications of the actions that um, that they've taken. Has those sort of opening of the barriers created any type of conflict? Because that has usually been the case in many other European cities who have experienced yeah. a similar deregulation. Is that something which is true also for Lisbon or the state of Portugal? In Portugal, one way the taxi industry tried to react to that new legal framework was by going on strike and blocking big parts of the city, but it wasn't successful in Portugal specifically. So it didn't change anything within the policy making. And I would say in general, as a business, my taxi entirely understands the difficulty that some of the regulatory changes are doing for taxi drivers who, as I pointed out before, are one of our three core target groups. Mm. But we don't think that going on strike is the right way to then educate the policymakers and make them change what they've done or make them adopt what they are planning to do. Is I think entering a more constructive dialogue and showing willingness to change and modernize yourself is probably the most successful way to do this. Mm. I mean, that is also something that is quite characteristic for my taxi, if you've seen how you have been developing over the last 
year and bridging back over to Lisbon at the end of 2018, you for the first time announced an e-scooter pilot, uh, which was yes. tested in Lisbon under the new brand name Hive. So adding scooters to your offer might seem like the perfectly natural step in connecting new mobility modes to your core business, obviously being the taxis, and to reach a new target group. But before we step uh, further into that, I want to know how come you chose Lisbon as your first city? A variety of reasons. And I think the one, one of the most important ones is what I mentioned earlier, is despite the fact that we might not be happy with the policy making for ride-hailing in the state of Portugal, our relationship to the city of Lisbon is very, very good and always has been very good and is very cooperative. So I think it's a combination of that fact and then therefore it was a very constructive process of understanding whether the city wants to have us and when the city wants to have us, are the obligations they are putting on us and how can we help them modernize their city and mobility in, in their city And then probably also because of the warm weather that we have there, Lisbon having developed to one of the more modern cities in the last 20 years when it comes to openness to change and so on. So therefore, if you combine all those reasons, then Lisbon was one of the perfect potential starting cities for us to try micromobility in our business. And will you continue to roll out in new cities? If we look back on your previous experience within my taxi as a regional manager, I can see that Portugal was one of the countries where you used to be responsible for, and the other ones being Germany, Spain, Austria and Sweden. Will we start seeing scooters in those countries too? The only warm one there is Spain, but uh, <laughs> the other ones would be quite quite ready as well. So it's... Uh, <laughs> is my detective so, work leading somewhere here? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it is. I think um, what we said already when we launched the pilot is we are approaching this in a humble way. We know it's a different mode of transportation. We know there's a lot to learn. We know that you know we will need to deal with hardware and we need to understand what cities want from us because that is our approach. We do what we agree with the cities to do and we don't come in at any price like we said before on the right hailing as well. So a lot we need to learn. But what we've learned so far since we launched the pilot, I believe at the beginning of December, we like and we think we can learn faster and learn more if we go for the next few cities in the next few weeks. And then what I always said is depending on what we learn, we have a plan ready that is potentially getting us to go a lot bigger and roll out to a lot more cities as mm -hmm. well. So can we then see this project as part of a broader strategy to integrate more micromobility options, perhaps not only scooters, into your offer, as in your permanent offer? You asked the question very well. It's yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think the, I think the longer answer is we think that mobility is going to change over the next 10, 20 years, obviously. I mean, everybody has a good understanding of that. And there will be new modes of transportation that we don't see coming today. And first mile and last mile is obviously one that has always been in mobility-influencing minds anyway. I would even put it slightly broader. Today, we get people in a car from A to B. Mobility might mean that in 15 years, it's going to be robotic helicopter that is going to come and take you from C to D. And then therefore, we need to open up to provide mobility 
rather than to just provide right aid. Mm. A follow-up question to that would be, can you then still keep your group name MyTaxi? In the short term, we could. Like some of our competitors were integrating scooters into their apps, have very similar names. But in the long term, you're absolutely right, and this would need to be reconsidered. Okay, cool. But it's, it's like in that in that sense, sorry, in that sense, I would say the brand is following the strategy, not the other way around. That's probably quite a healthy approach. Let me know if you have some spots open for a brainstorming session around a potential <laughs> new name. Will do. <laughs> Will do. So I think it's worth connecting to something that you said earlier, meaning that obviously people are starting to use other modes of transportation for first and last mile rather than only the car. This is something which also has to do with connecting and sharing mobility. We see that people can not only continue to use individual modes of mobility, but we need also to shift to shared ones. In one sentence, you can say that we're moving from individual transportation to mass transit, increasingly so. You have tried out one way of doing this, meaning that you recently carried out a project together with Lufthansa where you connected shared my taxi rides with passengers arriving at the Munich airport. This is not a mass transit per se, but it's getting there because you carry more passengers than just one. Can you tell me a bit more about this project? How did it go and what are the learnings so far? Taking a step back is um, we see that a lot of competition, future competition will come in through uh, companies that call themselves sharing companies. At the end of the day, the services that most of these companies are going to offer are the same services that licensed taxi and private hire are offering today already. So what we realized is we need to build a service that can create a sharing experience itself, which we call MyTaxi Match at the moment. Mm -hmm. And basically what we do is what all these companies are planning to do as well. If two people are coming out of a similar area, from a similar area, want to move to another area which is close to each other, roughly at the same time, then we offer them to share the car and then pay significantly less for the ride compared to what they would be paying if they would go on their own. Mm, I actually used this uh, service today myself. <laughs> Did you like it? I liked it. I used it twice already and I see it as a great way to practice my German. On the <laughs> on the other hand, I tried to get my boyfriend into doing it and he was very reluctant, but I won't stop trying. You're making a really good point. It's a very, it needs to be tailored very much to the target group. So if you're the typical, and I'm not saying your partner is, but if you're the typical businessman or businesswoman that has been working abroad for the entire week and is landing at the airport at 9 p.m. on a Friday evening, naked and wants to get home and wants to get to see his or her partner, it's unlikely that this kind of target group is then going to share the ride to get home because they feel like, finally, I've made it, I've survived the week, or yeah, they want to sure. take calls in the car and they want to be on their own. Now, if I spend time with my friends on drinks late in the evening, on Friday evening, and I'm maybe 22, and at university, I might actually enjoy the fact that I can share my ride and meet some new people on my way home at two o'clock in the morning, if you get the point. 
Hmm. Starting from the trial that we did together with Lufthansa Munich Airport that you mentioned, um, we see that we have very different patterns of behavior by target group. So in Hamburg, we're trialing it. We see people use it rather for leisure, like I said before, Thursday, Friday, Saturday evening or early morning uh, to get back home after a good night out. In Warsaw, for example, where we're trialing this, it is becoming an extended part of public transport, as you mentioned. Mm. People who don't live close to public transport access points, they start using it as a way of commuting and a cheaper way to work or to the next public transport entry point. And we are actually enabling people to move differently, more conveniently, and they start sharing rides. So it's not everybody takes their own car. And we see an immediate positive impact already. Do you see this pattern as an indicator for you to start investing in shuttles? I would say the differentiation is minimal in the first place. One thing that I see that I need to do a far better job at is that I'm standing here, I'm, I'm telling you the licensed taxi industry is able to offer the services that all these new sharing economy companies are planning to offer in the near future or have just started offering. Whether we design it from a technology perspective as a shuttle that is traveling on a fixed lane with virtual bus stops or whether it's as we operate match today in most of our trials, doesn't make a big difference from a technology perspective and we can adopt and we will adopt and trial on how we can do it. So I guess what I'm saying is we're not planning to operate our own car fleet with our own drivers. Mm. But what we are offering today already with licensed taxis, which, by the way, are all cars that are on the streets already. They are not additional cars that will come on the streets and create more congestion. We can already offer this kind of sharing experience. And the only thing that we still need from the policymaker is more price flexibility to be able to offer it at the same price as our competitors are doing. So what you're basically trying to do is utilize the number of seats in the already existing vehicles that you have on the streets. Well, that's environmental friendly, or friendlier at least. Good, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> I love my job. <laughs> it's quite obvious. I'm happy to hear it and uh, also happy to feel it. Coming into environmental work, almost all transport providers today speak very warmly about crafting better cities, improving quality of life, having greener urban areas, etc., etc., etc. And my taxi is no exception to this and neither are you. You're also an advocate for this, I guess, not only in your profession or in um, in your position, but also it seems like it's a personal topic for you as well. In the industry that we're working, we're going to change significantly how societies and how cities are moving. Mm. And if we uh, do this with the right moral approach and the right attitude and the right objectives, then we will be able to change this world for better. And mm. this is really what gets me out of bed in the morning. You mentioned earlier that you see yourself as an urban partner. And as an urban partner, how are you contributing to drive more attractive cities? How are you concretely working on making your offer more sustainable and perhaps also the mobility system as a whole? First of all, utilizing the supply there is already in a better way is one thing that we can do that is very difficult for the legacy industry to do because of 
different ways of working with data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and so on and so forth. We are investing a lot in trying to find behavioral patterns from passenger and be able to do demand prediction and so on to then educate the drivers to know when they should be working, where they should be working. If they've just dropped passenger, a potential behavior like a taxi driver will take the start either roaming a district until they get a new hail or they would go and uh, stop the taxi rank and then wait there, uh, potentially for minutes and hours until they get the next ride. Mm-hmm. So if we can enable them to find the next ride quicker and spending less time roaming cities, then that will have a massive impact on traffic congestions and on pollution, the avoidance of pollution. That's, I guess, number one. Number two is if we develop services like My Taxi Match, then we will be able to utilize the seats that we have in a better way. Like we get more people into the same path and that is exactly the same preaching that our sharing competitors and colleagues would be doing as well. And like I said before, we can deliver the same service. And then lastly, whilst being a marketplace, and it's not my supply, I'm not a transportation company, so I can't decide what cars are being bought, I still have a very big influence. If we really care enough, then we can have a bigger influence on how we electrify the fleets that are on the streets today. Mm. A lot of digital companies and also companies connected to uh, utilization of cars in any capacity are today talking about or doing um, new developments on electrical vehicles. Is this something that you as a large, large player would consider doing yourselves? As in the ultimate electrical car is not there for you today, why don't you build it? We're looking at this. It is not easy to develop these kind of vehicles and it's even harder to produce these kind of vehicles. It's an art to be able to produce, to mass produce cars without uh, creating any problems. So um, we see ourselves being more on the front end to the passenger when it comes to driving autonomous mobility and uh, this kind of stuff. Um, rather than producing the car itself and the hardware. Mm. Besides your environmental-friendly work, um, which you already touched upon briefly, is the usage of AI and machine learning. I already understood that, that you are using it to extract predictions of behavior, but are you also using it to optimize transportation flows or how else are you utilizing these new technologies? Because they are quite exciting and I think at the moment the industry is looking a lot at theoretical scenarios and I'm interested in, in how you use them on a practical level. Today we're looking at probably three directions how we can use data in a better way. Number one is obviously we can drive higher marketing efficiency even for the benefit of passengers. Like we can offer discounts and vouchers to some passengers less to others because they don't care but then Back to your example on economically friendly cars, is if I am able to drive demand towards eco cars, then I'm having a positive impact and that is what I could use data for. And that is what we're working on at the moment to become more efficient on marketing. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is demand prediction, as I said before, is if I 
could tell a taxi driver to not start roaming and to wait for 30 seconds because I know in 30 seconds there's going to be demand 10 meters ahead of him, then he's going to love me for it and he's not going to start roaming and I can avoid congestion and diesel fumes and whatever in the city. And I even deliver a better service to the passenger because the passenger got his supply immediately and our um, ETAs are going down. And then thirdly, is exactly as you say, is we're looking into understanding how we can help the drivers to route in a more efficient way. And that is very closely linked to the demand prediction as well. Hmm. Is that also something that you push as one of your offers as a B2B player? However we can deliver the best possible service for our passenger, be that B2B passengers or leisure passengers or whatever kind of passenger, is that is what we will do. So if I can improve my B2B service by looking at the data, then I will. What we're not doing at all and what we are not planning to do is to utilize our data for third parties. We collect data and we utilize it exclusively for ourselves And the way I've said before is as a B2B player, I'm not planning to offer our data to other parties. Mm. I want to ask a, a rookie question here because uh, what you just said sparked something in my mind because of an email I received this morning where we got a question if we wanted companies help to gain insights on our users when they were not using the app, as in to try and track their behavior outside of the app obviously looking into their patterns using their phones. This is something that we strictly say no to because we're simply not that interested in it and we don't think it's something that builds trust with our product either. But I know that other people and companies are doing it. Is this something that you would find interesting or a little bit borderline? As I said, earlier it's part of our dna to do the right things and to do it the right way i would never even consider looking at it if it's being done without the knowledge of the people who share the data mm. i am aware that there are business models where users are being paid on a regular basis or are getting benefits for sharing the data and they want to share the data now this data is generated to be shared and to be used and it's done with the full consent of the people who share and then i find it less critical to use that kind of data but i would be very very careful to just buy data that might have been generated without the knowledge of the user and that we strictly don't do and it seems like we're on the same side yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> Another technology which is um, shaking the OEM or auto industry at the moment and perhaps also for the upcoming 10 to 20 years is the shift towards autonomous vehicles. And it is pretty hard to say too much about the future of mobility as everything is constantly evolving. But what no one is contestating is that driverless cars will hit the roads sooner or later. How are you thinking about self-driving vehicles and do you see them as a threat to your business model or more as a complement? First of all, we see it as a fact. Autonomous driving is going to come, whether we like it or not. The best option we have is to embrace it 
uh, when it's coming. So therefore, we don't see it as a threat. We just see it as a change to our business model. Because the drivers are one of our core target groups, it's worth pointing out, we strongly, strongly believe that the technology is about to be ready for the first pilots on the streets as we speak. I mean, we see the first pilots in the south of the U.S. and under perfect weather conditions on the streets already. But we believe that autonomous driving being a mass transportation is going to take at least five to ten years. And this is for two reasons. A, today it works under perfect weather conditions, but we don't always have perfect road and weather conditions meaning we will still need to work on the technology and the reliability on the technology quite a bit until it's becoming an absolute mass product. Secondly, it will take quite a bit until we have the regulatory framework for driverless cars done by the regulatory bodies, by the politicians, because nobody really wants to decide and is keen to decide who's going to be injured if the car sees an accident coming. Is it going to be the people on the road or is it going to be the people in the back of the car? And then therefore we have that MIT Mora machine work that needs to be done and it'll take the society a few years until we get there. So therefore we will have enough time to manage the transition, not just for our drivers, but for ourselves as well. If you look at our business model, then one of the key assets that we're creating is understanding where demand is coming and then being able to tell the supply where it's coming and to therefore steer the supply. And this works whether we operate whatever kind of vehicle and whatever kind of mode of transportation we operate. So therefore, we see it coming. We are preparing our drivers. We're preparing ourselves. We don't see it as a threat. It's going to happen anyway. It's a change. Mm. So in the upcoming 5 to 10 to 15 years, perhaps we will see a mix of driverless and driver-equipped my taxis on our streets? 100%. There will be fleet types within autonomous driving cars where you still need people to service these cars. Just take an extreme example. If there's a grandpa with his walking aid who needs to go to the doctor, then who's going to help the grandpa to get the walking aid into the car? And this is just a very simple example. There are many ways how autonomous cars can be utilized by actually putting service personnel into the car. Mm. But do you see also autonomous vehicles mainly taking lines or routes that are a little less complicated and a little bit less fast? For example, replacing school buses with EV vehicles because they might only be driving on 30-kilometer roads and it's sort of a new form of mass transit then because having autonomous vehicles driving 250 kilometers an hour on an autobahn might yeah. feel a little bit threatening to people. Yes, there will be different phases and it's very hard to predict how these phases will come along as whether it's actually going to be, how do you call that, it's like big truck trains on the autobahn but only going 50 miles an hour or whether it's the buses, as you say, that just go 30 miles an hour. You're absolutely right. There will be different phases, but it's too early to say. There might be models where two lanes on a four-lane street are for autonomous cars and then the other two are for non-autonomous cars. We will see, but it's not making any major changes to the commercial business model. Mm. that we're operating today.
Over at Traffy, we have defined around three different platforms of mobility in which the industry is working within or around. And we see them as the following, the consumer, the transport provider and cities. However, we also see that, unfortunately, to be honest, many players are working in silos today and they are missing out on the optimization and also the crossover functions that you can so easily naturally find in between those spheres of platforms. We are working quite heavily on exploring these um, in order to reach a larger network effect of the mobility ecosystem as a whole. And Eki, as you mentioned beforehand, you're also working quite a lot with these platforms, perhaps mainly most with the transport provider one, because you are a transport provider and you also employ transport providers. But I am very curious to hear your view on this and also how you are working with sort of the mobility ecosystem as a whole without losing sight of any of these following platforms or yeah, users, because all of them are users. Yes. Slightly clarifying the role of my taxi. Legally, we are not a transport provider and we don't own any cars and we don't employ any drivers, meaning we are basically a marketplace between supply and demand, supply being the, the licensed taxi industry as we speak, and then the passengers that want to get from A to B being the demand. And I keep pointing out the cities are one of our core three target groups because we know that we have such a big impact on how cities work. And then therefore, we have to work closely with them. So first of all, I violently agree with you that these are the three core buckets of stakeholders that we need to look at. And we all need to look at all of us that we work in this industry. Now, there are platforms and we have one or two sister companies within this Daimler BMW joint venture that would qualify as platform providers as well. There are a few platforms that incorporate several providers, being several transport providers, several cities, big amounts of passengers, and so on. I would say from how we position my taxi is we are not trying to be an aggregator and we're not trying to be multimodal in that sense, i.e. have many different transport providers or many other platforms integrated. I think one thing that we need to be conscious of is there's going to be more and more companies coming that are have these kind of aggregator status and more important, more and more cities are building their own. So if I want to provide mobility, I will have to plug into at least the city's aggregator platforms because that is what they will expect me to do anyway. Do you have any plans of integrating the city transportation network into your service? No, I think there are some very professional players that are good at doing this. For us, it's gonna, it would always be very, very hard to change the structure of our technology on a city-by-city city level, and that we feel is what would be required if we integrated the public transport of the cities into our app. But what we do instead is we get ready to integrate ourselves into cities' aggregator apps. Hmm. But that's also quite a natural process because the city transportation network is usually the core of transport in most European cities, we're excluding the US from this discussion here, but in most European cities. So sort of tapping into the platform that they could provide or in some cities are already trying to provide. 
That is sort of following a value chain which feels quite easy. Mm-hmm. Now, say that the scenario would be a little bit the contrary and yeah. other providers would want to tap into your network. Say, for example, that I'm going to launch a new scooter service which is tailor-made for women because we carry handbags and there should be a basket on scooters. I'm going to call it the Siggy Scooter. How likely are the chances that I would be able to integrate into my taxi's platform? Are you still looking for investors? <laughs> <laughs> um, Definitely. At the, at the moment, it's not easy. And, and we're not looking at opening our platform to other providers. I believe it would always have to be a case-by-case discussion. But from our perspective, we've got with Movil, we've got a sister that is able to do these kind of things. And you're rightly pointing out it's easy to integrate into the city's platforms. It's not as easy to integrate other providers into your own and build a platform. And therefore, I believe we will be more successful if we slowly but surely build out the mobility products that we offer. Hmm. instead of aiming to consolidate the entire mobility market with all its players. Hmm. But then test driving Hive is sort of on par with that vision because you're doing it in-house, it is an additional mobility mode um, and you can do it step by step in your own pace. And we are certainly going to look into finding out what it does to our ecosystem if we integrate Hive into our own MyTaxi app. Hmm. Because, I mean, that could be a very natural step when trying to give the consumer the chance for first and last mile, not with a MyTaxi. I mean, say, for example, that you would have the opportunity to take a Hive scooter from your house to the nearest MyTaxi station and you can save those extra kilometers as a cost, but it's still... You know, something which is doable and that you like. Yeah. At the moment, we believe it's even more complementary than that. You make a decision whether you want to go by scooter or by taxi, let's say from the train station to your home or mm. in the morning from your home to university or whatsoever. Yeah. It's very likely that it's going to be a first mile, last mile to the taxi because the taxi always takes the first mile and the last mile as well. Mm. But it's very unlikely that the scooter business is going to eat into the taxi business because it's different target groups and different lengths of trip. I can tell you, it's very, very exciting to go on a scooter for 10, 15 minutes. It's becoming a bit exhausting once you're on a scooter for more than 20 minutes. (laughs) Tried it myself in Lisbon. (laughs) I have not tried to be on a scooter for more than 10 minutes, so I guess that's my breaking point as well. I also see you know, a really clear mix-up of modes. Take just a scenario where you are going to the grocery store. On your way there, you're not carrying any bags. It's easy to take a scooter, but on your way home, you might have five or four different ones. Where would you put them on a micromobility option? It's a bit trickier. My taxi comes in handy. So making it a bit smoother and more seamless for the consumer, I think is a great way to go. And I think what is probably fair to say, if there is a great product like scooters with baskets for handbags, then we might consider to integrate this specific scooter. I think what I'm to enable the mobility ecosystem, what I'm trying to say is we're not going to be the aggregator that is then going to offer 
10 different scooter providers, 10 mm. different ride hailers and the public transport of each city. No, but I guess that's also where Movil comes in. And they could cover yes. cover that. Or traffic, yes. dependent on <laughs> if or you belong to a certain <laughs> family or not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, Eki, I have one last question before your hectic schedule continues. Sure. Who would you like to listen to in the next episode of On The Go? I would love to listen to John Kraftschick, the CEO of Waymo. I've met him before and I think he has a lot to say about urban mobility. Mm, definitely, and they are doing some pretty cool stuff over yeah. there in the US. To be watched. To be watched. That was a very good recommendation. Eki, thank you so much for sharing your views and joining the podcast today. It was a pleasure. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> for you and for everyone else, you can subscribe to On The Go in your iTunes, Spotify, Acast and most other podcast directories out there. So please put that on your long to-do list for today. If you have any feedback or guest requests, shoot over an email to sigurd.traffy.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day. Mm-hmm.